0: Good morning, everyone. Um, This morning we're reading chapter one of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, Joshua... Son of Josadec, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people: "I am with you," declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua. Son of Josadoc, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month.
1: Good morning, everyone, um, and sorry, Heather, for that horrible reading. Um, <laughs> um, as Jack has said earlier, my name is Hendre and um, I'm a minister in training here at Trinity Church Only while I'm studying at the Bible College of South Australia. And um, as we've just heard, um, for the next two weeks, we will be looking at the book of Haggai. Now, Haggai is no doubt one of those books that's in the portion of the Bible that is less often ventured. I don't know how many of you were having a bit of a flipping back and forth trying to find it during the reading. Hopefully you got there before the end. Um, But I'm sure those of you who opted for the Bible app were grateful for that too. Um, the book of Haggai is one of the twelve prophetic books at the end of the Old Testament, um, which is known as the Minor Prophets. Now, Minor Prophets is not to suggest that their work is insignificant, but it's more just a comment on the length of these books when compared to those that make up the four major prophets. But I hope that as we look at this portion of scripture, this portion of God's word for his people, for us, that as we saw last year when um, Jack led us through Hosea, that we would see the richness and the beauty of these portions of Scripture even for us today. Hopefully on your way in, you are handed a leaflet, and if you have one, you will see that as we are going through chapter one, and um, that we will see together the distorted priorities of the Jewish people. We will see the folly, the folly of serving One'self, we will see the blessing that comes from obedience. Before spending some time at the end, trying to think how that refrain that we see twice throughout this chapter applies to each one of us, give careful thought to your ways. Distorted priorities. In, I'm just going to read verse one again for us, and it should be up on the screen hopefully as well. It says. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Now, the book of Haggai, as we can see there, gives very specific information as to the date of its writing. In fact, throughout the book, we will see four messages from God, which was given through Haggai, and each one is introduced with this exact date of that prophecy. And it is the first of these messages that we see in chapter 1. So given that we know the date, and what, what do we know about the context of what was happening for the Jewish people? Well, unsurprisingly, as all of you guys know, the Jews have a habit of um, being disobedient to God in the Old Testament. We see this cycle of them disobeying and of God punishing them and then bringing them back. Well, the Jews had just been in exile in Babylon for 70 years, and Jerusalem had been completely destroyed, all their houses, everything was completely gone and abandoned for 70 years. But the Babylonian Empire, thankfully, also came to an end when the Persians took over. And King Cyrus, um, in his kindness to the Jews and in God's sovereignty, and allowed all the exiled nations to return to the land where they were from. And so that's what many of the Jewish people did. They returned to Jerusalem, and they began to rebuild their city. Now, inevitably, there was a lot of work ahead for them. There was a whole city to rebuild. It was going to be a big job, but the people were excited to be home. They were hopeful that Given that their exile is over, a season of blessing from God was coming. So only two years into their return from exile, two years into their time back at Jerusalem, the Jews began to rebuild the temple with much excitement and jubilation. And the book of Haggai picks up 16 years after the start of that construction, 18 years post the end of exile. Sorry. Um, so I, I need to be a bit careful what I say um, next about... So it's maybe not a bad thing that the mic wasn't on, but um, what I, I need to be a bit careful what I say about the construction industry or my father-in-law might need to have some words with me. Um, but builders are a bit of an interesting breed, I think. I'm, I'm not entirely sure whether they are just the most optimistic portion of our population... Um, Whether they just are very good at using the poetic license in their sales pitches, or whether they actually operate on a different calendar system that maybe uses the moon or something. But I've never heard of a building project that is finished on time. There always seems to be something that goes wrong, something that gets in the way. Whether it be bureaucracy or red tape, miscommunication between the trades, or timber shortage bucked by a global pandemic. But in Haggai 1 verse 2, we see clearly that something has gone wrong here. As it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The time has not yet come. Well, they lay this foundation 16 years ago. What on earth do they mean, the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple? Clearly something had gone wrong. But do you also see in this message from God how he refers to the Jews? He calls them these people. Clearly the relationship between God and his people was strained. Now, Ezra chapter 4 helps us fill in a lot of the gaps of what had actually been going on in this first portion of Ezra the Israelites' time back in Jerusalem. And so I'm just quickly going to read the whole of the chapter for us just because I think it's helpful in giving us that context. And it should be up on your screen, hopefully, as well. Okay, so when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the families and said, let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esher- Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. At the end of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Bishlam and Mithridath, Tabil and the rest of his associates wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. The letter was written in Aramaic script and in the Aramaic language. Rehum, the commanding officer, and Shemeshad's secretary wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. I might just jump to verse 11. To King Artaxerxes, from your servants in trans-Euphrates, The king should know that the people who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundation. Furthermore, the king should know that if the city is built and its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid, and eventually the royal revenues will suffer. Now, since we are under obligation to the palace, and it is not proper for us to see the king dishonored, We are sending this message to inform the king so that a search may be made in the archives for your predecessors. In these records, you will find that this city is a rebellious city, troublesome to kings and provinces, a palace with a long history of sedition. That is why this city was destroyed. We inform the king that if this city is built and its walls restored, you will be left with nothing in trans-Euphrates. The king sent this reply to Rahim, the commanding officer, Shishme, the secretary, and the rest of the associates living in Samaria and elsewhere in Trans-Euphrates. Greetings. The letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order and a search was made, and it was found that this city has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of trans-Euphrates, and taxes, tributes, and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work, so that this city will not be rebuilt until I order so. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interest? As soon as the copy of the letter, King as Eris was read to Rahum and Shemshay, the secretary of the associates, they immediately went to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Thus, the work of the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. The second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia is actually how verse 1 of Haggai opens. So this Building project had been staying, laying dormant for 16 years. For 16 years, they have not progressed. And in many senses, it sounds like there was fair opposition. They were scared for their life. They were commanded not to continue. But this, despite these potentially legitimate reasons for the complications of the building, Haggai makes it quite clear that something else is still wrong in this situation. Verses 3 and 4 of Haggai say, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? See, whilst King Artaxerxes in Ezra that we read, in Ezra 4.21, commanded the seizing of the work and the rebuilding of the city, we see here that it seems the Jews only stopped rebuilding the temple. They were building panelled houses for themselves. Now you could argue that it's totally reasonable that you might need housing before you need a temple. Like, that makes logical sense. A temple is a big undertaking. But God's words through Haggai make it clear that what was going on here was far beyond just merely providing accommodation for themselves. The paneling of the houses is indicative of the luxury and the detail and the beauty with which they were adorning their houses while the altar to God was in a tent in ruins with just a foundation. Yes, building the temple might have been a complicated project but it had not just been delayed or held up it had become totally neglected and abandoned. The reality is that King Darius actually removed the ban on construction and the Jews, disheartened and discouraged by their previous attempt, caught up in building luxuries for themselves, had no real interest or urgency in building the dwelling place of God, the temple, the very thing which set them apart. From the other nations? Were they too scared or disheartened by the complications of their previous attempts? Were they dejected by the struggling economy? Yet they still seemed to be paneling their houses. (laughs) Whatever the case was, the people had convinced themselves that it wasn't the time for building the temple. Something had gone completely wrong in the priorities of the Jewish people. They were so caught up in their own lives, in building their own little kingdoms, that they had totally lost sight of what ought to have been of first importance. If we're honest with ourselves, it is so easy for us to do the same thing, to, in the busyness of life, to get caught up chasing and prioritizing those things the world tells us we should be chasing, whether it be owning a home or progressing in our career. And whilst those things aren't innately bad things, they're good things, if they are being pursued at the expense of what we ought to prioritizing, that is a problem. But like the Jews, we try to convince ourselves excusing our warped priorities, saying it's a good investment or it's just a season. I just have to get this project out of the way and then I'll have more time. Or once my kids are at a better stage, I'll be able to have more time to work towards God's kingdom. Now, we might not have been called like the Jews to build a physical temple here on earth, here in Adelaide, But we have been called to be building God's kingdom. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We have been called to be making disciples that is both sharing the gospel with those who have not yet heard, but it is also teaching those who are younger than us in the faith, discipling and nurturing them in their faith so that they might obey everything God has commanded us, to be building up others in our church and in our household. The sad reality is that if we are not deliberate in doing this, if we are not intentional about it, we will neglect what is best. Our lives are busy and our calendars fill up quickly. If we are not intentional in setting aside time to be building up God's kingdom, we will neglect it. And we will come up with excuses to justify it, why it's okay to be putting it on the back burner and our selfish hearts will always want to put our own desires for comfort above God's call to obedience and service. The folly of serving self. But more than simply critiquing the priorities of the people, Haggai goes on to point out the folly of their ways, the folly of serving themselves. Verses 5 to 6 say, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You expected much, in verse 9, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own home. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands." the reality of our selfish hearts is that we are never satisfied. We never have our fill. And the things the Jewish people were prioritizing were not bringing joy, were not bringing success, were not bringing fulfillment, because they were things that aren't able to satisfy the Jewish people had removed God from his rightful place at the center of their lives. And the reality that Haggai reminds them of is that this affects every aspect of our life. It affects their home life, their work, everything. We see God frustrating their work in the field, the labor of their hands, because of their disobedience and warp priorities. And not only do we see them obtaining less from their crops, but that which they do obtain slips through their fingers. There's a hole in their pocket, or a hole in their bucket. It can be easy for us to be tempted into thinking we can compartmentalize our life. That our relationship with God won't affect our friendships our work, our marriage. But the reality is that it affects every aspect of our life. In the course of time, if we neglect our relationship with God and the things he tells us to prioritize, our hearts will grow more and more selfish and that inevitably will cause strain on all relationships. Now I want to be clear that this passage is not saying that, therefore, if we obey God, if we have our priorities in order, that we will become prosperous or have success in this life. No, we live in a broken and a sinful world. But the reality remains that nothing but God and living for him can ultimately satisfy, can bring true joy and the blessing which will remain. Serving ourselves will always leave us wanting more and will always ultimately leave us empty and disappointed. The blessing of obedience. Somewhat surprisingly, what follows this call to action of Haggai, this wake-up call for the people, is obedience. After all that complacency for 16 years, and no progress being made on the temple, within 24 days of Haggai's first message, the people responded in obedience. Reading from verse 12, Then Zerubbabel son of Sheltil, Joshua son of Jodak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month the people recognized that it was God speaking through Haggai and obeyed. God in his kindness did not abandon the people in their hopelessness and disobedience, but sent Haggai to them. And in his kindness, he gave them ears to hear, to recognize his word to them, and to stir up their spirits to obey. And so... Because of their obedience, because of their reoriented priorities, we see God in verse 13 declaring the blessing that comes from obedience. I am with you, says the Lord. In the midst of their hopelessness, God encourages and comforts them with the only thing that can truly comfort and satisfy, God's presence. And that's not just something God promised the people here in the building of this temple, but it is also exactly what God said to his disciples and to us in that call to build his kingdom. The Great Commission ends in verse 20 with, And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. We are a blessed people No longer, like the Jews, do we need a physical temple to be near our God because through Jesus, through God's Son's death in our place, through his resurrection and defeat of death, our bodies now are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies. God is with us, is in us. And therefore we are not alone in the task he has given us but he has given us his spirit to strengthen and to embolden us. He has given us his spirit to call us out on our warped priorities and our lame excuses. Have you given careful thought to your ways? Somewhat frighteningly, frighteningly, scarily, um, we are already halfway through January. Most of us are back at work And the reality is that if we are not careful, this year could just fly by. Have you given careful thought to your ways? We heard this question or this remark twice in this passage of Haggai, God calling his people to give careful thought to their ways, giving them a wake-up call to reorient their priorities, to be building God's temple, So how will we be building God's kingdom this year? What excuses or fears are stopping us? What plans, hopes, dreams and comforts of our own do we need to neglect or give up in order to prioritize that which is of most importance? Now, I just want to be clear that this is not a recruitment drive. I'm not going to start passing around a roster for the coffee cart or for any other service. That's not what I'm trying to do here. Ma- many of you do a lot at church and are actively involved in many areas of your life in building God's kingdom. But for all of us, even those who do do a lot for God's kingdom, it is so easy to get our priorities warped. It is all too easy to just think we'll get around to it, to think we'll get to that person we've been meaning to catch up, or we'll start serving in that way, or we'll give money to that mission organization we've been intending to. But if we're not intentional, our lives are like a whole, uh, like a bucket filled with holes. And before we know it, our time, our capacity, our money and our resources have run out. That's why it's so important that we are careful, give careful thought to our ways and that we do this again and again. We need to be intentional. I think the beginning of a new year is a prime example prime time to do exactly that, to take some time out, to stop, to sit, to pray. Where will you be building God's kingdom in this year ahead? I know that might be a hard question for us to get to the specifics in just a short moment and So I'm not going to ask you guys to do that but what I do want to ask you is to right now in the minute ahead grab your phone, grab a piece of paper and write down, book in a time half an hour, an hour and sometime in the week ahead to sit down with God and to pray that he might show you where he might be calling you to be partaking in the work of building his kingdom this year. I'll give you a minute for that and then I'll close in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and just confess our brokenness, our broken hearts that desire to serve ourselves and to seek comfort and to be building our own kingdom rather than to be doing what is more important and ultimately more satisfying and more fulfilling. God, we repent of the times that we look to the gifts rather than you, the giver, the source of all good in our lives. God, we pray that as we are heading into this new year that you would help us to not just let it fly by, to not just get caught up in the busyness of life, but that we might be discerning in where you are calling us to be building your kingdom. I pray that you would help us to make time to invest in those relationships to invest in relationships with people who do not yet know you so that we might share the good news of the gospel with them, to be investing in the lives of our children and the younger believers around us, to be nurturing them in their faith, to be encouraging them and to be showing them what it means to serve and follow you. I pray that you would help us to make the time to invest in building your temple our bodies to be growing in holiness and to becoming more like your son. God, we thank you that we are not saved by our efforts or by our works, but that that was accomplished once for all by your son on the cross. We thank you that You, we have you here with us, among us and in each of us. We pray that you would Give us ears to listen to the prompting of your spirit, that we would realize when our priorities are out of whack and that we would humbly come to you and enjoy the comfort, the blessing and the satisfaction of living a life wholeheartedly for you. Amen.